If you turn back to the front side, you'll see that we're in Luke chapter 12 and continuing in that chapter in verse 41 as Jesus is about to answer or is interrupted by Peter with a question and then continues his discourse in, in some way an answer to Peter's question. Verse 41, God's word to us this afternoon. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. <clears throat> and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. It is telling that the passage opens with a question. I think that so often you and I, when we read the scriptures, we, we are ourselves moved to ask a question very much like the one that Peter asks here. Because in a way, what he's asking is, Lord, to whom does this word speak? To whom are you speaking? Is this directed to, to me or to someone, someone else? Is this just to the apostles in their time? Or is this to me in, in my time? Is it just for the ministers who preach the gospel? Or is this to me, the regular congregant who sits in the pew? And in this sense, when Peter asks this question, he is asking a question in place or, or, of, or for all of us. But I think more fundamentally, what Peter is asking here is he's asking the Lord something about the extent of His rule and the authority of His Word. How far does your Lordship extend, Lord? That's what He calls Him here. Or to say it another way, how big is your kingdom, Lord? Does it include the disciples only or does it include all men? When you speak, is your Word binding for everyone, everywhere, at all times? Or is it just binding for specific people in a specific place? Lord, is your word authoritative for us or for everyone? You see, Peter has just heard the Lord speak of his kingdom in terms of a house with servants. He has heard a call, a stirring call, to be ready, dressed for action, having your lamps burning. And hearing that, he wants to know, Lord, are you telling this parable for, to us or to all? Jesus leaves, I think, no question in his answer to this question. He is Lord of every man. He is Lord of all people. His Lordship extends through all time and to every place. And I think that we see this most clearly at the end of what Jesus says to Peter in our passage. The last two verses there, verses 47 through 48, and I would like to look there first. He covers 
both disciples and all men when he says, verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will, and who is that but Peter, the disciples, the ones near to him, even you might say Christians like you and I, the one who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will, he will, they will receive a severe beating, Jesus says. But the one who did not know, which can include literally everyone else, the ones that don't know, the rest of mankind, every man, they did not know, but did what was deserving of a beating. They will receive a light beating. So, in one sense, we can say there's nobody anywhere that escapes the beating. All will come to judgment. All will be judged justly, Jesus is saying. Each, he says, will receive a punishment that accords with their knowledge. And their knowledge, in particular, of the will of God. We've heard something like this, I think, already in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 10. You'll remember when he is in Chorazin and Bethsaida, he pronounces woe upon those two cities who had seen him do mighty deeds in their midst. It's because they did not believe in him having seen them. In verse 14 of chapter 10, he says, It will be more bearable in the judgment of Tyre and Sidon than for you. Tyre and Sidon, in the judgment are not exonerated. They are still part of the judgment. But the point is that Chorazin and Bethsaida, who have seen these mighty deeds, who have interacted with Jesus, will receive greater judgment because they had greater knowledge. They were near to Him. They saw His works and so had reason to believe and still did not, even though Tyre and Sidon also did not believe, but they had not seen such deeds. I think we see something similar again in the Gospel of John when Jesus stands before Pilate. You'll remember he has a conversation with Pilate and he says this to him, He who delivered me over to you will receive or has committed the greater sin. Pilate is certainly still guilty. He's not an innocent man. He still hands Jesus over to be crucified. But he is not as guilty as the Jews who have the Scriptures and should know something about who this man is. And even more, the, the Jews themselves are not as guilty as Judas who handed them, him over to them and had intimate contact not only with the Word, but the Word made flesh. He was close to Jesus. See, so when Peter asks to whom Jesus is speaking, Jesus answers that He's speaking to every man but with particular emphasis upon those who hear and understand and have been brought near to Jesus. All fall under His jurisdiction. There is no question. All are subject to what He calls a beating for their guilt. He is Lord of all. But some, He says, will receive greater punishment. Everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And from Him to whom they entrusted much, they will... He says, demand the more. It is as if he were saying to Peter who asked the question, Peter, this word is for all, but Peter, it is really and importantly, especially for you. You who have been given much, to whom much has been entrusted. Yes, God gives liberally to all, but He especially gives liberally to us, Christians those who are near to Him. Think about it. 
You're the ones who know much. You have tasted the goodness of the Word of God. You have experienced the powers of the age to come. You have been given much. Much has been entrusted to you. You have the Word of God and the sacraments and a share in the Holy Spirit Himself who is poured out upon you. The parable, you see, is for all, but it is especially for you and I who are much more like Peter than everyone else. We are servants in His house. And the Lord and Master is coming, and so He is saying to all, but especially to us, be ready. Be ready. The Word is to you. But of course, Jesus says more than just that, doesn't He? He gives us more than just verses 47 through 48. We skipped over the rest. Peter had asked a question. He asked, Lord, who is it that you're speaking to? And the Lord doesn't directly answer him, as He so often does, but He Himself asks a question to Peter. Peter says, to whom do you speak? And Jesus, we might paraphrase it, says, who are you? To Peter. Who are you? You see, when Peter says to, or when Jesus says to Peter in verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager, we all feel something. I don't know anyone who can read that and not begin to examine themselves and ask the question, am I faithful and wise? We, we know that the question comes to us asking us if we are one among those who are called here faithful and wise. We cannot sit outside of these words and look at them as something that doesn't have anything to do with us and question them because Jesus, by His question, draws us right into the midst of those words. Those words surround us and come underneath us and define us one way or another. We cannot escape them. The Lord says in verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? We ask, you see, like Peter, who is the word for? And the word asks, who are you? That's the question. Who are you? Are you a blessed one? Are you in the body of the faithful and wise manager? And if so, the blessing is yours. It's pronounced here. Verse 43, blessed is, notice it's present, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Yes, not only present blessedness is promised to such a one who is faithful and wise, but also future reward. Look at it. Verse 44, truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. And I think it's hard not to read this. And in one sense, notice that it describes Jesus. Jesus in His relationship to the Father. Who else has been faithful and wise in the household of another other than Jesus was in the house of His Father? He was found doing what He was sent to do as a faithful and wise manager in the house. And He, because He has done those things, has been set over all things. Can we deny it? Of course we can't. And as we are united to Him, you and I, as we walk in Him, know His blessedness and reward as our own. Or at least we can. And I think we read something that summarizes this well for us in the Scriptures. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, the risen Lord promises to the one who conquers, I will grant Him, He says, to sit with Me on My throne as I also conquered and sat down with My Father 
on his throne. He is in the Father, and we are in him. Where else will you and I find faithfulness and wisdom but there? Certainly there's no other place. But there is more, of course. There is a specific calling here set before us, isn't there? In this example that shows Jesus, but is more than that, it is calling us to be like him. In the opening question, there's a statement of purpose. You can see it at the end of verse 42. He says, Who is the faithful and wise manager who gives, who is set in his master's house? It says, To give them their portion of food at the proper time. Who is the faithful and wise manager? Who is the one who is like me and doing in the world as I have done in the world, Jesus might say. And of course, we hear this, and it doesn't exactly clear up the question for us about what we're supposed to be like, does it? Because we have a question when we hear their portion of food at the proper time. We want to know who they are, and we want to know what the portion of food is, and we want to know what the proper time is. It's a little obscure, is it not? What does Jesus mean? Well, we of course could look at Jesus' life, but I think it's also appropriate for us to look at Peter. Peter, to whom the word is first directed. If we pay attention to him, I think that we'll find something of an answer. You remember at the end of Peter's life, he did not, well, the end of the account of Jesus' life and towards the end of what we know about Peter, it says that uh, Peter denied the Lord three times. And then having denied the Lord, he's restored by the Lord three times. Remember on the resurrection morning there on the beach, Jesus has fed the disciples a fresh catch of fish, and then he restores Peter three times asking him, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, he replies with growing hesitancy and lack of assurance that yes, yes, Lord, I I love you. And each time, What does Jesus say to Peter in response to his claim that he loves him? You all know it. You're familiar with it. He says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Each time, Jesus says some variation of that phrase. And so I think it's clear to us, just from that little incident in Peter's life, what Jesus means when he says, them. Who is the one to whom we are supposed to serve their portion? It's the sheep. It's Jesus' sheep. It's the church of the living God, the the believer, the community of the believers. And, And I think we can clearly understand what their portion is, too. Can we not? Is it not the bread from heaven? The Lord Himself ministered to the people by word and sacrament. The Lord is their portion. And Peter knows it, for he is the one who says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And we have believed, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then the proper time, well, it's now, isn't it? Now is the day of salvation. Today, Paul preaches, is the day of God's love. Now, in these last days, in the year of our Lord, as long as it is called today, as we sung, in this day of grace, this is the time for the faithful and wise servant to give them, the sheep, their portion, their Lord, of food. If we are honest, we must realize something, though, at that point, hearing these things. We must know that in some way, none of us can accomplish this task 
by ourselves. As surely as I do not stand here preaching without the aid of others, just think about it for a minute. None of us in this room, especially me, did not have any hand in translating the ESV. There were Hebrew and Greek manuscripts that are made into the Bible that we hold before us and read here. And I had no part in creating the website on which we got this text to paste on this page, did I? Of course not. And Maggie Taylor printed this with the help of Claire. So I had nothing to do with this. Right? I have nothing to do with the video equipment or the sound equipment that's happening here. You and I have not had anything to do with the building of this building. We didn't cook the food that we ate. We're not watching the children in the nursery. But all of that comes together so that the Word can be preached. So that we can come and feast on that which God has provided for His people. All these things are part of doing this work. So every time the Word is ministered, every time the sheep are given their proper food in their proper time, it is of necessity the work of the whole body being busy about all their various tasks. We labor together to bring His flock into His field that they might eat on His day. And all that we communally do It has this as its purpose, does it not? Even in our private affairs, we raise our kids with this in mind. We we serve our neighbors with this in mind. We balance our budgets and set the way that we spend our money with this in mind. It is the light that gives meaning to everything that we do that men might see our good works and give glory to God. Blessed, you see, is that servant whom his master will find, notice how he says it, so doing when he comes. Not just doing, but a particular type of doing. It is a work for and laboring toward the ministry of the body of Christ. The body which is that servant, composed of many members, which is faithful and wise and feeding the flock of God and has been doing for centuries. The whole body connected to the head and growing up into full maturity. So, who are you? Jesus asks. Well, you're either part of that body, serving diligently, working, laboring daily, day after day, or you have part with something Jesus here calls the unfaithful. Notice it. There is added to the blessing a curse. Verse 45. But, if that servant... If one of you, we might say, says to himself, and notice that, the autonomy and the individuality of the man. He's thinking of himself and about himself and within himself like the rich fool that a few weeks ago we saw builds many barns to use to gather up all his riches and plenty. If he says in his heart, my master is delayed in coming, and notice that too is a true statement, the Lord is delayed, is he not? The Lord is extending the time in mercy in order that all might come to repentance, in order that the ministry of the church might continue and flourish. Such a statement is in itself not troubling. No, it is what he reasons in himself with that information. The servant, saying his master is delayed, begins, it says, to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. Now, of course, we can't take this literally as though he's going out and 
beating someone with his fists or with a club or something. Of course, that could happen. But we must take this just as literally as we took the giving the portion of food at its proper time. It has a specific spiritual reference. The beating is violence done to the sheep when they are not given their proper portion, when they're kept out of the fold where they're supposed to be, where they're kept away from the Lord who is their their bread and their nourishment, when the time for them is not properly communicated or understood. It is, we could say, the false prophets and the false church and churches that have gathered up around them. It is that part of the bride that loves the world more than the Lord. You can think of countless things throughout history that fit this category, but I think we see it most prominently displayed for us in Judas. Judas, like Peter, who was near to Christ, wasn't he? He interacted with the Lord. He even gives Jesus to men, doesn't he? He gives the Lord to the hands of men, but not as food for the sheep, certainly not, because he does it all with a different frame of mind and with a different understanding of the time all he does he does for himself all he does is to fill his own belly and to sate his own thirst and he demonstrates by all of his actions that he is drunken he staggers about in the darkness doing what he does obviously blind to the truth and to his own hurt and such are those that jesus said says here are cursed They have the light of day, but they walk before Him as though in the night. They are busy, but for all the wrong motives and for all the wrong ends. We can be very busy. We can do lots of things, and we can do a lot of them in the name of Jesus, but fail to miss the main thing which we've seen in the Blessed One who is faithful and wise. Verse 46, The master of that servant will come, he says, on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour that he does not know. Drunken, unexpectant, walking at night, and suddenly surprised by Jesus coming, the Lamb in his wrath. Listen to it. And he will cut him in pieces. Literally, he'll cut him in half and put him with the unfaithful. Cut him in half and put him with the unfaithful. It's a terrible word, isn't it? Harsh, violent judgment. But it is just. They who live violently will suffer violence at the hand of Him whom they ignored and treated violently in a way that was not in accord with His revealed will and purpose. It is not a word which one can merely hear and observe, is it? To hear Jesus say those things We can't sit outside of them and act as though they're for someone other than ourselves. We feel it and we know it. It is a word. It's a living and active word that has power to grip us and call us to action. Call us to seek Christ and to be found in Him and laboring with and for Him and to His glory. You see, it speaks to Peter and it speaks to all of us. And it says, be ready For the time is coming when the day of grace will be past and gone and everyone will stand before the throne of Him. And we will no longer have an opportunity to answer the question, who am I? Because He will declare it by a word of judgment 
from His throne. You are either in Him or you are not. You are either on His right hand or you are on His left. You either enter into the joy of your Master or you enter into outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's either one way or the other. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sobriety that your word brings to us, O Lord, that we would not walk in drunkenness or in foolishness, but that we would be wise and faithful to your word. Lord, we pray that these words would be stirring to us, that we might rededicate ourselves to the work of the ministry and the centrality of your word and and the preaching of it in all of our lives, that it would be the light that guides our way and the purpose that, that directs our every step. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.